Thank you, Brother Wayne. You know, for a moment there, uh, if I had closed my eyes, it almost sounded like Elvis Presley. Was anybody getting that? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Wayne. Hey, let me share one other announcement with you real quick before we get to our sermon, and that's that we have a baby shower this Thursday night, um, and that's for Miss Kara Taylor. It's thrown by some friends and some family, and you're all invited, all of our ladies, to help support the arrival of this precious little one, and that'll be this Thursday night. Uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. I believe it's in our banquet room over in the Family Life Center. There's also some information about that in the bulletin this week. And uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, let me encourage you to open your Bibles there with me as we look together at God's Word. I want to speak to you this morning about a sermon that I have titled, The Courage to Be Fully Alive. The Courage to Be Fully Alive. I fear there are many a child of God, and we only live kind of halfway alive. And we turn off some parts of our life to cope with difficulty or what have you. I want to give you courage today from God's Word to live a life you were meant to live, a life fully alive. I take part of that phrase from a saying from an early church father. He lived in the 100s AD or what we call the second century. His name was Irenaeus. His most famous quote is this, the glory of God is man fully alive. It teaches us that God is not impersonal, but he's close to us, and he de desires that we live in such a way that we show his glory and even share in that glory. Our lives have dignity and purpose and meaning, and God intends for each of us to live our lives to its fullest capacity. Let me say that part again. Brother and sister, God intends for you to live your life to its fullest potential. You say, well, that, hey, that, that ship left a long time ago. I've just been struggling for a few years, you know. Well, you've got time to get back on track and pick up right where you left off. God will meet you there. He's not done with you yet. And so if you're here this morning, whether you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to take on the world, hey, I want you to live fully alive. But if you're here beat up, feeling tired, don't think you can do it anymore, and hey, I'm just going by to get along, God wants to, to inspire you today to have courage to live in a way that you are fully alive. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, hey, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it what? Even more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. So let me talk to you this morning about the courage to be fully alive. We're in 2 Timothy 1. We read some of that passage earlier this morning. Let's read some more of it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just start at verse 6. That's about where we left off earlier. Verse 6 and following. Remember, Paul, seasoned veteran that he is, approaching the end of his earthly sojourn, is sharing some very timely words of encouragement with his young protege, Timothy, also a pastor. Here's what he said in verse 6. For this reason, Timothy, right? For this reason... I'm reminding you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share 
in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This God who verse 9 explains, who saved us, who called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus even before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Notice the way our salvation is here described. Jesus who abolished death and brought life and even immortality to life through the gospel. He goes on to say more, but for our purposes today, we'll just look at those four or five verses, verses six to 10. Let me share with you a few things I think you need to do that God's word tells us to do. And if you do them, God will help you to have courage to live a life fully alive. Number one, what must you do? You have to face your fears. A lot of us are professionals when it comes to deflecting our fears. A lot of us have great experience and a long history and great skill at avoiding our fears. But God says today, you got to face your fears. Hey, life can be scary sometimes. You can run from those fears, but you won't be fully alive. If you learn by God's grace to face those fears, you can do some amazing things with your time here on the earth. Face your fears fears. This is where we get this wonderful verse there in verse seven. God gave us a spirit. I think, okay, most of our Bibles there use the word spirit with a lowercase s. And so we're not entirely certain it's a direct reference to the third person of our triune God, the Holy Spirit. I think it is. God gave us a spirit. All right. Let me tell you about this spirit God gave us. If you're a child of God, a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, okay, God has placed in your life his very spirit, the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something about that spirit. It's not a spirit of fear because God's not afraid of anything, right? Face your fears because you have the Holy Spirit in your life. But what do we know about this spirit? It's a spirit of power. That sounds about right for the Holy Spirit. A spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Let me share with you just a few things that are going on here in our passage. Underneath this heading, face your fears. You got to do it, okay? If you're here this morning and, and, and you're just even a little turned on to what's going on in your life. All right, some of you just tune out and, and, and medicate and cope in, in unhealthy ways. But if you're even just a little curious, hey, what's God wanting to do in my life? What's the cutting edge of God's Holy Spirit in my life? Well, there's a few things that Timothy needed, and I think you'll find you need these as well. Timothy needed encouragement. Where he was serving was difficult. The Apostle Paul had been through difficulties just such as that. He was currently imprisoned, okay? So he understood the difficulties. He was in the perfect place to be able to offer to Timothy the encouragement that he needed. Timothy needed encouragement. It reminds us God's word says things like this. Hebrews 10 verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know what that means? Y'all, let's, let's think about how we can encourage each other, right? E encouragement is not a synonym for the message of a greeting card. Okay, we think encouragement, we think good, happy feels, we think inspiring, but the word encouragement means you give courage to somebody who needs it and is lacking it, okay? We're to think about 
how to encourage each other, how to help one another face our fears to where we go from, from cowering back from the next step in God's will for our lives instead to take in a deep breath and say, God, for good or bad, victory or failure, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to face my fears. Paul tells him, Timothy, don't give up, man. Don't give up. He tells him to fan in the flame the gift of God that was in him through the laying on of Paul's own hands. We probably have a reference there to something comparable to an ordination service at which Paul was present, at which he was a key player. And it's as though Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you get too discouraged, okay, this, this flame, this fire in your life that is God's call, what you're doing to make a difference, right? This fire is, is under threat of going out. You had better fan it back into flame. You take a fire, and after a while, all the big logs burn up. You know, you're left with just hot coals, and they're still hot. But if you don't add some, some fuel to that fire, and if you don't add some oxygen to that fire, it'll go out. Here, Paul's saying, Timothy, don't let the fire go out, man. Even, even if the fire seems barely lit, even if it seems like there's no heat there, if there's any kindling of a coal still left in your heart, fan it into flame. We go through those seasons when... Perhaps the flames simmer down. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Get a new grip and say, I'm going to go for it again. Don't give up. Fan that thing back into flame. We also learn here through this encouragement that Paul's telling Timothy, hey, use the gifts that God has given you, right? Fan into flame that gift that was given to you on that very special day. Fan it into flame. One Christian thinker, might even call him a philosopher by the name of Frederick Buchner, he said this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger Meet together. And y'all, we, we have to use the gifts that God's given us to do that. God's given every single one of us gifts. If you belong to Jesus, you are gifted, okay? Some of you going through school, maybe you were in the gifted program, right? Some of you, maybe you rode the short bus to school. Either way, if you are a child of God, you've been gifted. God's word promises us that much. Every child of God's been gifted for service in the kingdom. Use those gifts. Here's an acronym I've shared before. If you like taking notes, here's some great things to write down. The word SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, really is a, goes a long way toward describing how God wants us to use our gifts in this life. The S stands for spiritual gifts, right? Things like encouragement or service or administration or mercy or teaching or leading. Right? The Bible speaks about spiritual gifts in a number of pertinent passages, the letter H stands for your heart, which is to say the things that you're passionate about. If you're excited about something, well, there's a reason for that. God made you that way, okay? Lean into that excitement. Use it for the kingdom of God. The letter A stands for your abilities. Right? Some of you are good at things. We, we, we showed a picture earlier of some, some ladies and, uh, well, one rooster, as he called himself, uh, who went on a trip, um, and these ladies used their abilities to sew, to be crafty, to make things, to help others. That's how you use your gifts. The letter P stands for your personality. Remember, we're spelling the word shape. We're all wired different. You know, in every one of those differences, there's a unique opportunity to meet a need somewhere else. There's people that you can reach that no one else can reach. 
There's somebody you can encourage with your personality, as odd as it may be, right? If you've got an odd personality, God made you that way. Lean into it. Don't cower from it. The letter E stands for experiences, right? We've all been through different things. If you've gone through something and you see someone else going through the same thing, you are uniquely equipped to encourage that person because you know you've been there. Discover your shape. Use your gifts. Timothy needed encouragement. Paul offered it. A couple other things Timothy needed. Timothy needed relationships. I think Paul highlights that when he speaks to him about the fact that, hey, you were given those gifts when hands were laid upon you. Now, we're reading in between the lines a little bit, but in the Christian tradition for nearly 2,000 years, Christians, when they commission someone for a task, a young pastor, an eager missionary, a body of deacons, when they commission them for a task, it's very common for the church's leadership to gather around that person to physically, literally lay their hands like on their shoulder or the small of their back or on the back of their head just to lay that hand there and to pray for them. We speak of that normally in terms of an ordination service. I think that's what's in view here with Paul and Timothy. He's reminding him of that day. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in a church community where relationships can transpire, where relationships can grow, relationships can blossom. Paul is, is saying to young Timothy, who's discouraged, he's saying, God called you. The church affirmed you. Brother, we believe in you. Fan that gift back into flame and get back to work and face those fears. Paul speaks a little bit of his own mentorship in Timothy's life. Hey, brother, I was there. I laid hands on you. I remember that day, he tells young Timothy. Um, earlier in the same passage, we read it earlier, um, he refers to Timothy's mother, and grandmother, right? Talk about relationships, those family relationships where we express our faith together, where we in, engage in Christian disciplines and faithfulness together, where we hand down our faith to our young people. All that is in view. One other thing, though, that Timothy needed to face his fears, he needed truth. Sometimes what we need more than anything else, more than encouragement, more than relationships, we need somebody to speak the truth to us. And that's what Paul did to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you've not been given a spirit of fear. I know you feel fear, but that's not what you were given. You were given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. The word that's used here for fear is a unique word. It's a very extra-biblical word. That is a word that was used in ancient Greek literature all over the place outside of the Bible. It was a very specific word. It was a word that referred to someone who was in an army, and when the battle raged, they fled and deserted because they were afraid. God's Word is telling every single one of you today, face your fears, trust God, do the next thing. Sometimes what we need more than anything else is for someone to tell us the truth, to call us out. Often we want for our spiritual lives and the spiritual things that we do, we want them to feel good, right? So when we're in a worship service and we hear a song and we like that song and it's performed well, we, we get a little moment, right? You ever, you ever been in a worship service and you just sort of, man, you were really in the moment. It's almost like you felt goosebumps run down your back, right? We like those moments. We think that's what spirituality is supposed to feel like. Good, inspiring, comforting. But when our spiritual lives don't feel that way, often we hit the brakes. 
But God's Word says we're to face our fears. We're to lean in, in faith, when we meet with difficulty, and trust God. You know, you've probably heard the old saying, a goldfish will never outgrow the bowl that it's in. Our fears are like the bowl, right? And we're never going to get past where God has brought us to if we're not willing to face those fears. Christians often will only grow so much as they are willing to face or to back away from their fears. If there's something in your life that you're afraid of, it's probably right where God wants you to go. Let me share with you the second word of instruction for how we can live a life fully alive. We need to face our fears. Secondly, we need to do the hard thing. And that's very similar. It's just sort of the next step, next step in the process. We turn, we face the fear. Now we must be prepared to do the hard thing. Look at verse 8. Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering. He said, do the hard thing. Suffering's not easy. Share in the hard thing. Swallow your pride. There's a sense in which he tells him that. Hey, don't be ashamed of the hard thing. Don't be ashamed to be associated with, with other Christians maybe that the community has looked down upon or maybe even they've been imprisoned as Paul had. He says, no, be prepared to do that hard thing. Now, in, in the book of Proverbs, we read about wisdom. We learn that wisdom is eminently practical. Wisdom is not what you do, what do you have up here. Wisdom is not even what can you say with your mouth. Wisdom is about how you live your life. And Several times in the book of Proverbs, we read a connection between fear and what the Proverbs writer often refers to as a, a sluggard's ways, a slothful way. We call it lazy. There's a connection between being afraid and failing to act. Being nervous that you may not succeed, turn around backing up and not even trying. There, there, there's a passage in Proverbs 20. Um, 26, verse 12 and following, read these words. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? Well, there's more hope for a fool than for him. And then notice the next line. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the road. Now, the point of the passage is not whether there actually is a lion in the road. The point is the, pa the passage is the lazy person comes up with every reason in the world why not to get out there and face their fears and do the hard thing. And as a result, they are professional, expert, excuse makers. Sure, if there's a lion in the street, we probably ought to stay inside. But a lot of times it's just a thought that there might be. And it prevents us from doing what God's called us to do next. We must be willing to do the hard things. Also, to do those hard things, we must be willing to put God first. Put God first in our life. It's a lot easier to put him maybe second or third, right? So that your family and friends say, oh, that's a good church-going person. Hey, that, that's a good Christian person. But we're not sold out. We're not fully alive. We're not on fire for the kingdom. If you put yourself first, then you can't put God first. But if you put God first, he promises, he'll always take care of you. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about priorities, about faith, about the kingdom of God. He treats the subject of anxiety at great length. In Matthew 6, he says these sorts of things. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. 
We've got to put God first. He'd say just a few verses later, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Brothers and sisters, put God first, swallow your pride and then do the uncomfortable thing. The uncomfortable thing. You know, I remember when I was young, I used to hear pastors and youth leaders say to me all the time, God wants to stretch you. God wants you to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, I heard that so many times, it just sort of become a cliche. But y'all, it's absolutely true. God does want to get you out of your comfort zone. Hey, that don't mean there's not a little time for the easy chair on Sunday afternoons, a little nap between services. Sure, that's, that's fine, okay? But in your life, if all you ever do is work to put yourself in a position of comfort, of ease, or a, a place where you'll never fail. You'll, ne- you'll never be asked to do anything difficult or anything at which you may, may not succeed. Well, then you've spent a whole life positioning yourself where you don't need faith. It don't take faith to be comfortable. It takes faith to face your fears and to do the hard things. I, I am of the opinion that in, in many of our lives... God brings us to a place, and in that place, at the end of it, we before we can go on to to level two, so to speak, in our spiritual life, we we have to meet a challenge. Uh, My my boys like to play video games. Now, I'm a little old school when it comes to that stuff, and so we bought them a video game system that was like 20 years old. Like, it doesn't look real at all. It's very cartoonish. It's incredibly, you know, just imagination-based. Like, they play like Mario and Donkey Kong and those sorts of games. These are really old, okay? You can't even buy these anywhere. You have to find them on eBay. But my little boys love them. Here's the way those video games work. When they're on level one, each part of the level gets a little harder. And then when they get to the end, they have to face the boss, right? He's the big, bad guy. And before they can go to level two, they got to beat the boss, don't be the kind of Christian who when you see the boss, you think, I'm not doing that. And so instead, you turn around back up a few feet and just say, I'm going to park it here and take it easy, all right? God's calling us to face the fears, to do the hard thing, and to beat the boss so we can go on to the next level, okay? And here's the way I think it works. Until we meet Jesus, there will always be a next level. There will always be a greater challenge. There will always be another boss. We never retire from our spiritual lives. We may work hard and retire from our career. Hey, praise God, I'm working for that too myself someday, many years from now. But we don't retire from Jesus. We don't retire from being called to do difficult things. And so we must face our fears, do the uncomfortable things. And uh, let me share with you our third challenge this morning. If we're gonna live a life fully alive to God, we must very simply believe the gospel. All right, this isn't just a pep talk. Hey, face your fears. Listen, you can turn on a TED talk and hear that kind of stuff, okay? This is a pep talk rooted in what Jesus has done for you. Notice that. Paul, Paul tells Timothy here, you got to face your fears. You got to do the hard thing. And then in verse 9 and 10, he gives this detailed, beautiful exposition of the gospel message. That is, of what Jesus did for us and why it makes a difference in how we face our fears. Look at verse, verse 9 and verse 10. Right after he tells him to share in suffering, he says about God that, <clears throat> verse 9, he saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus 
Before the ages began. That's not enough. He wants to extrapolate even some more meaning from what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 10. He says, And now it's been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death. Right? If you're afraid of dying, let me tell you what the gospel says. Jesus abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light. Let me tell you. There are so many people in this world who are afraid of dying. I think there's so many people in this room who are afraid of dying. There's a sense in which that's a very normal human thing to do. Everything in us is wired to live and not die. And yet, if the Lord tarries one day, not a person in this room will still be alive here on the earth. As we think about facing our fears living a life fully alive to God. Here's what Jesus wants to know. I defeated death on the cross for you. Don't be afraid of dying. I brought immortality to life. You want to live forever, trust Jesus, and indeed, you will live forever. That ought to give you courage. There's a sense in which, as a child of God, we are invincible against whatever it is the devil may seek to do to us, even death even dying. And so we must believe the gospel. Now, how would I explain that in terms of this message and this passage of scripture? Three things very quickly. Number one, you need to get saved. That's where it starts. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, that's where it starts. You need to get saved. That's a real Christian word, real churchy phrase there. Get saved. What do I mean by that? It means Jesus died on the cross for you because he loves you He knows who you are intimately and still wants you. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll cleanse your life. And so any of the wrong and the evil things that you've done, he'll he'll strip those things away. He's paid for them on the cross. He'll give you a home in heaven with him even long after this life is done. Jesus has done for you. Get saved. Number two, what does it mean to believe the gospel? It means to surrender to God's call on your life. Right? We've been saved We've been called with a holy calling. Do not run from God's call on your life. Do not delay your response to God's call on your life. Do not neglect God's call on your life. There's only one thing to do with God's call, and that is surrender to God's call on your life. Doing so is of the same substance as believing the gospel. Finding, doing, God's will and God's call on your life. How else do we believe the gospel in this stretch, in this, in this sermon? We do it by trusting in God's sovereignty. Here, here in this very uh, encouraging scripture about facing your fears, right? We're not being given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self-control. Here, even in the middle of that, we're told about the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 9. It says, he saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of what? His own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. When? Even before the ages began. God's got a purpose for your life. Trust him. Trust in his sovereignty. It's not easy to face our fears and to do difficult things But when we trust that God has his plans, God has his reasons, and he's planned them for us even before the ages begin, when we trust those things, it gives us courage. 
Brother and sister, I want to ask you, what do you need courage for today? I wish to say these words one last time. And I hope as I say them, you hear your heavenly Father speaking these words to your heart. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and self-control. The mark of the Holy Spirit on your life is that you are willing to do the hard thing. That you have love for others and that God is making you holy through self-control. I believe so strongly we have a great need for courage today. So many people in these pews have a need for courage today. There's nothing in your life for which you can feel the need for courage. I'm going to tell you, you got to get out a little bit more. You know, and you ain't living. You're relaxing. Well, the end's coming, and we're going to have to give an account for what we did with the years that God gave us. We have great need for courage today. We have just a greater need for encouragers today. Right, this entire passage was the Apostle Paul trying to encourage Timothy to serve God with his life. You can do that for others too. Maybe you uniquely are a Paul to someone else who is your Timothy. Maybe it's your children, your grandchildren. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone you work with. Be an encourager for someone this week. Right? You can have the opportunity to help someone have the courage to be fully alive and to show the glory of God with their life. Let me invite you to bow with me as we prepare for a time of invitation. Oh, if you're here this morning, maybe you feel deeply in your heart a need for courage. Why don't you come here in just a moment? We're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitation hymn. But as we do, this altar will be open. Maybe you want to come today and just pray, God, give me courage. I need courage in my life to do the next thing, to do the hard thing. God, help me to face my fears. Maybe you have a loved one and you know they need courage. During this invitation time, let me invite you to come, kneel at this altar, pour your heart out to God and just say, God, give us courage. Oh, God of courage, would you give us courage today? Let that be your prayer. Father in heaven, as we close out this service with a time of invitation, I ask God that you'd give courage these, your people gathered in this place this morning, Lord, give us courage to serve you well, that we might be fully alive. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing softly and tender. You come as God leads you.